I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. People want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Either I am very lucky or the bullish gods were listening to last night's show and they decided, they decided to slaughter a few bears on the altar of higher prices today. I don't know how else to explain such a robust rally. Dow surging 346 points, S&P climbing 0.86%, NASDAQ advancing 0.67%. Other than a small increase in interest rates, just a little bit higher, enough to get the finances going. And yet another decline in the dollar, which helps get the multinationals quite jiggy. Bye, 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 bye. Remember last night I told you we can't have a real sustained rally here unless we get more leadership. It's got to broaden out. I said we could rally, uh, you know, if we got, say, something beyond the banks and the retailers, like healthcare, like industrials, like transports. Well, guess what? Today, we got almost all of them. In fact, 10 out of 11 sectors went higher. And it was, if you're a bull, a glorious thing to see. Unlike yesterday, where we had tech and retail, not much else, today's action had a lot going for it. Despite the lack of any big macro, you know, the kind of data that you get from the government figures. So let's start by ticking down the most visible winners, because I think that they are exactly what leadership is. First is J.P. Morgan. It screamed higher. All in that itty-bitty rise in interest rates. This move is classic, people. Just classic as desperate, left-from-behind bulls. Climb on to anything that's still available that might be cheap. J.P. Morgan's having the time of its life, lending here and talking share, taking share. I mean, like, you know what? They're killing it in Europe, especially because Deutsche Bank keeps cutting and cutting and cutting. Someone's got to take up the slack. I think it's going to be the House of Morgan or the bank, as it's called in New York. No, I'm not kidding. When you hear the bank in Manhattan, it's not like take it to the bank. It's the house that Jamie Dimon built. What's driving the bulls here, sending the stock up more than 2%? I think they're looking at what happens in the second half of this year. After the government releases the results of its bank stress test in a little over three weeks called CCAR. Consider how the bank stocks have behaved over the past couple of years. First, the first six months of 2016 and 2017 before the release of the stress test, J.P. Morgan stock was down 6% and up 6% respectively. But what about the second half of the year? After the annual stress test results in the second half of 2016, J.P. Morgan stock vaulted 39%, and in the second half of 2017, it surged 17%. I think the smart money's buying the stock right here, right now, get ahead of that monster performance that you're expecting in the second half. I know everyone's putting the hate on my alma mater, Goldman Sachs, of late, but I say not so fast. In 2016, Goldman Sachs' stock plummeted 17% in the first half, and then you know what it did in the second half after CCAR? 61% higher. Then last year, it dropped more than 7% in the first half, and then it folded more than 17% in the second half. This time, the difference should also be pretty stark, as I bet Goldman will announce a humongo buyback after it gets its C-card results. And it wasn't just the banks. 
While we don't have enough drug stocks stampeding higher for my liking, we do have the sainted health insurers back in the plus column. Every time these stocks are down for a couple of days, some analyst comes calling and gets things back on track. Today, Goldman Sachs upgraded Cigna, CI, which has been, I mean, I've got to tell you, let's just use a little analogy here. Hey, it sounds like a thousand points. Uh, yes, that's right. Ever since they decided to buy Express Scripts and Wall Street didn't like it. Well, you know what? We had management on if the deal was announced, and I thought it sounded darn good. But the analyst community, like their neighbors on the same street in the suburbs or something, they send their kids to the same school. Actually, that's possible. This community of analysts hated the Express Scripts deal all at once. But that is until today. I saw nothing new in this upgrade from Goldman. The same story about how terrific the deal will be. But it worked. Goldman, and uh, Goldman's push meant Cigna would go up 2.4%. At the same time, United Health Group unceremoniously announced, it just came out, it's like, you know, little headlines, came out and announced one of the largest buybacks I've ever seen, 100 million shares, or 10% of the company. And it gives you an incredible 20% dividend boost. It's like a press release. Nobody talked about it. They owe you one. And then by the end of the day, it was up 1.7%. I think it's got another 10% coming when the analyst community launches their last buy recommendations before heading off to East Egg or West Egg for the summer. Oh, and how about value? The stock got pushed hard by Barclays today, a big upgrade, and a sign that CEO Joe Papa is delivering on his turnaround efforts. We warmed up to this one in the teens. Now it's at 25. I bet it's got more momentum. What else? Ever since the president decided to get tough on trade, the stock of Boeing has been trading, well, like it's about to lose a big order from Chairman Mao Airlines. But today the stock came within striking distance of the highs, and the darn thing is back. Given that Boeing is the quintessential industrial and our biggest exporter, what can I say? It is a terrific sign. CEO Dennis Molenberg has been demonstrably quiet on China, so let me say something. There are literally a dozen airline purchasers who would love to get in the queue if China drops out, and that's despite the recent declines in the airline stocks because of a 50% increase in the price of fuel. Molenberg may be quiet about China, but you know what he's crowing about? He's crowing about Mars. He's saying that he will not let Elon Musk's SpaceX get there before him. Musk probably doesn't even mind today, as Tesla stock surged 10% on predictions made by Musk himself, of course, that the company will soon be swimming in cash thanks to an insanely positive build schedule that's now kicking in for the company's mammoth order book. Whether or not you actually believe what Musk is saying, you got to admire the guy for sheer chutzpah. On top of Boeing, two other recently hobbled industrials got some love. Caterpillar and 3M. Cat's got great demand for engines. 3M's in the not-as-bad-as-we-thought category. There's a great that's a reason to buy something. Hey, have you heard about buying 3M? It's not as bad as we thought. Anyway, that's what it is. Now, the stalwarts from the last couple of days keep delivering. Retail remains a bright spot with the unlikely Signet Jewelers as the leader. Unlikely unless you watched last week's game plan, where I told you that new CEO Virginia Drozos would hit it out of the park. And Ginny did exactly that today. She trounced the numbers, this time with total integrity as she tries to turn Signet into less of a lender and more of an actual jeweler which is why the stock surged 18%. Who says everything has to be at Tiffany's, for heaven's sake? A stock I like still even run after this run, even after this run. I like those paper flowers. Uh, oh, and after the close, another retailer I gave you a big heads up on, five below, saw its stock scream higher, more than 10% higher. Come on, why not? Magnificent quarter. Lots of shorts in the name. And, of course, tech refuses to quit, this time led by some relatively unsung heroes. AMD, which has put out some very competitive chips of late for the PC and the data center. And you know that we think the world of Lisa Sue. And Broadcom, Hot Tans Company, which is running ahead of its earnings tomorrow. Oh, and we've got Steve Molenkoff, CEO of Qualcomm, the company Broadcom tried to buy. He's going to be on later in the show if you want more insight into the chip market. That's a lot of leaders. 
But it wasn't all fair weather today. Alphabet got dinged on rumors of big European fine. Let's get that over with already, please. Facebook had still one more New York Times hatchet job about how the company may have given your data to Chinese phone companies. I, I get that. As Mark Benioff of Salesforce came and told us on our show, Facebook has kind of let trust become a casualty of the business model. That's not what anyone wants, and the stock is deservedly in the red. Politicians do want another crack at Mark Zuckerberg, though, including a couple who walk a mile for camera. Here's the bottom line. Last end, I told you we needed to see more leadership beyond tech and retail for this market to really get Rory, and that's exactly what we got today. The most encouraging thing about this rally, it's not the number of points we put on. It's the sheer breadth of the move. And if it continues, the old highs might indeed be taken out for the S&P and Dow, just as they have been for the NASDAQ and the very broad Russell. 2000. Derek in Virginia. Derek. Jim, Derek. love your show. Listen to it every afternoon. Appreciate all your good work. Thank you, hey, Chief. I am, I, I, I am interested in your thoughts on DocuSign and this impressive IPO. I bought in right when it uh, opened up. I think it closed at 57 today. And uh, my question is this. It seems like electronic signature is not the most sophisticated capability in the world. But I use DocuSign in my personal life, but I've also seen a lot of other players out there. Is this going to become a commodity, or do they have the juice to really grow to be a a large enterprise software company? You know, it's a good question because the market cap is already $9 billion, uh, which is a lot. But they they have a lot of momentum, and this is a momentum stock, and I think it's going to continue to do well for some time. So I think you're okay. Let's go to Eric in Florida. Eric. Hey, Jim. How are you? Well, I'm watching some wild stocks go higher, man, like five below. What's up with you? I was wondering, with the economy of China continually growing, human resources and employee recruiting has remained a huge market. Do you think the value of 51 Job Inc. ticket ticker J-O-B-S is worth the risk of buying into the Chinese market? Well, I've got to tell you, I, I, I understand the momentum. I understand the thesis. But the only Chinese stock, I, two Chinese stocks I'm recommending are Alibaba. And I think that one goes much higher. And Baidu. And I'm not going to go down the food chain because those have real pure like U.S. Uh, like U.S. Don't use the word like, Jim. Uh, they have real pure financials. And I think that, that Alibaba is going much higher. All right. Today was a glorious day. Boy, is it refreshing to see a real rally outside of Fang. Thank you to the bullish gods. Oh, man, tonight, keep Qualcomm and carry on from the NXP deal to Apple to mobile. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO. Then the goose hung high for a while, but our expectation is getting too high. I'm talking Canada goose, of course, and we know we love the apparel makers here, but has it moved too much? Well, you want to get my take. And you may know him from CNBC's The Profit. I'm talking the one and only Marcus Lemonis about a tough situation. It's called Camping World. Stick with Quick. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. All right. 
Alec, do we even keep track of what's happening with Qualcomm, the huge chip maker that's all about communications? These guys basically invented the technology that powers your wireless, okay, and everybody's network. First, they try to buy NXP semiconductors, which, you know, we love, to expand into new end markets. Then the deal's held up by the Chinese regulators, a potential casualty of the trade war. Then Broadcom tries to acquire Qualcomm, but the deal's blocked by the Trump administration because Broadcom, technically based in Singapore, though only for tax purposes, and the White House doesn't seem to trust Broadcom not to pass on trade secrets to the Chinese, particularly secrets related to 5G, the next generation wireless technology. And to top it all off, last month we learned that Paul Jacobs, former CEO of Qualcomm and the son of its founder, wants to take the company private. Today, Jacobs announced that he's starting a new 5G company himself with some former high-profile Qualcommers. If that stuff doesn't make your head spin, nothing will. But here's the thing. When you put all these stories to the side, could Qualcomm be worth owning simply because of the incredibly good underlying long-term fundamentals? What about, you know, uh, the business? So let's take a closer look with the tech man of the hour, if not the year, Steve Molenkoff, the CEO of Qualcomm. Learn more about how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Molenkoff, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, Steve. How's Jim, how are you doing? Well, you know what? I've known you. I've known you for a while. It, it, you're an unlikely figure to attract this much controversy. You're an engineer. you got a lot of patents. You're really one of the founding fathers of our wireless technology. How do you keep it together during this period? Well, you know, we have a lot of confidence uh, that we're headed in the right direction. We're, we're buoyed by the fact that what we work on, people care about. So that's uh, that really, you know, every day we wake up and people want the technology that we make. And that that makes it good to come to work. Well, one of the people wants the technology. I'm looking at a story today. Former Qualcomm CEO Paul Jacobs starting a new 5G company while still pursuing a Qualcomm takeover. Is this just a distraction or is this something I got to worry about as a shareholder? I don't think so. I think, you know, first of all, we wish we wish Paul luck. And there's a lot of a lot of our friends working on that. And they're working. See, I, in an area. I don't know if I would be as gracious, but you're a gracious person. Well, and, uh, you know, and, and if there's something that it's transpires, of course, we'll we'll listen to it. But we're really focused, as you know, on, on driving some near term milestones, which we think are going to create some value. OK, considering that at the beginning of the conference call, because you're quite transparent, you talked about a little weak, weak, some weakness. You still stick by the roadmap to 675, 750, which, of course, would make the stock tremendously cheap. We do. We do. do. Okay. And I think the levers uh, are very much within our control. Uh, we, we're, we're taking cost out of the business. We're continuing to execute in the, in the product business. NXP, we hope to close here pretty soon. And uh, so we have really some near-term uh, ability to, to drive value, and we look forward to doing it. All right. Well, my travel trust, one of the biggest positions was NXP. I mean, just a fantastic company. You had to pay up. And, you, know, you agreed to pay more for it. But you must be talking to the Trump administration, someone. I mean, is there any chance that ZTE is solved and therefore perhaps you get solved with NXP? Well, you know, I don't think anybody knows exactly uh, what's going on, but okay. I will tell you this. When we extended the deal with NXP, we did it on purpose to get on the other side of some political milestones, one of them being the discussion on tariffs, because we thought that would provide an opportunity for a deal to get done. And I don't think we've seen anything that was inconsistent with the strategy that we put in place to extend that uh, agreement. So I, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic, and uh, I'll tell you, we are very prepared to execute on it. All right, well, let's say if you don't, if they won't let you, you still feel confident, because you know, you are a huge amount of infotainment, That's all right? right? You have a lot of auto. It's not just, you're, you're, just, you're not totally beholden to cell phones. Absolutely. If you, if you look today, we are already diversifying the business into new areas. We have a $4 billion backlog in automotive. It's infotainment. It's telematics. So it's really the connected car right. and the screen that you see. By the way, if I'd given you that, that, um, 
stat at CES. So in January of this right. year, it would have been Feel a $3 like billion dollar backlog. Okay. So it's growing. We, we know the strategy is the right strategy. It's working organically. But we add NXP, it really accelerates. Okay, now, if you look at your, the deck, and the deck is really, again, you're very transparent. You talk about how there are always going to be disputes, that the Apple dispute is just one of many, and that you should be buying Qualcomm stock when the disputes are being resolved. That's right. I, th- I think our view is that there's right now a disconnect between what we think is the underlying value of particularly our IP business and what the market no, sees. Property. Right. And uh, essentially what uh, we're doing is trying to resolve it. And by the way, it's fairly simple. There's a lot of complication that people talk right. through. But at the end, we have a contract with Apple and the manufacturers, the companies that, if, that make Apple's products, and uh, they don't want to pay. And that's something that we'll resolve. We have a lot of legal milestones in the near term that will that will hopefully resolve that, and um, we're confident. All right, let me pick devil's advocate. They are a soon-to-be trillion-dollar company. You're much smaller than they are. How about if they just say, you know what? Knock yourself out. We ain't paying. Well, I mean, we, look, we have a contract. It's a very clear contract. It's consistent with what everybody else in the industry pays, including Samsung. Which you had a dispute with, and then they came around, and it ended up being pretty much what you said it would be. Exactly. And so, you know, our experience with this is that these things get resolved. Uh, It takes a while sometimes, but we're on the back end of that process. One of the reasons that uh, we were comfortable putting in the numbers that we did that you mentioned was because we know those milestones are upcoming here in the the next six to nine months. Do you think that Broadcom with an $82 bid ultimately would have gotten your company if it weren't for the fact of CFIUS and the Trump administration? Well, you know, I think it was a situation where uh, there were some questions about deal certainty which clearly became the case. But I think it's also a case where it's very difficult to buy a company uh, using, you know, uh, using a hostile. You really have to engage with a company um, kind of in the front, you know, through the front door. And, you know, if somebody had something like that, we would, of course, look for ways of driving value. But we have a pretty good plan and we're going to drive it. All right. Now, there are concerns. Uh, There was a great article in The New York Times about what you do for San Diego. I bet San Diego, I can vouch for it. But robotics classes, scholarships, uh, museums, uh, local police uh, uh, foundations. In this new age, a Broadcom may not want those, may not think, they may think, listen, let's get the most maximum profit. You can do whatever you want with your money. But Qualcomm's committed to these type of things. You also committed to very large research and development companies. Are you too much of a throwback in an era where there is capitalism saying, hey, you know what, we don't want that. We just want performance. Well, I think, I think we invest in technologies that disrupt large industries, right. 3G, 4G, now 5G. And we think there are very few uh, situations where there's such a big opportunity to invest in a technology that you're already good at, and then you drive it into the industry and you, and you reap uh, you know, the, the rewards. And there are very few companies of the scale that have the ability to do that. So we think we're investing the right amount. We're also focusing the company, as you know, to really go after these, um, these new opportunities that we've identified and really get rid of the things that we don't think... Um, are good uses of shareholder money. Excellent. Okay, that's Steve Monkoff, CEO of Qualcomm. I urge you to look at the deck, see how they can get to 675, 750, because of course that would make the stock very, very cheap. They have money back in. As I'm always telling you, bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs, they get slaughtered. 
So how do you know when you're being piggish, when you're being too greedy? You need to be able to look at your winners with a critical eye. Take Canada Goose, G-O-O-S for all you home gamers. The maker of high-end fur-lined coats and parkas and other types of apparel like accessories and knitwear. Mainly, though, it's a winter weather play with a stock that simply refuses to quit. If you've been listening to me on this story, you've got some epic gains here. We recommended Canada Goose on the day it came public in March of 2017, about 15 months ago, when the stock was trading at just over 16 bucks. Now it's at $44. It's up 176%, including a monster 40% gain just for 2018. I've loved this thing all the way up, but that is truly an awesome move. And we need to check back in with our stocks when they've run up so far so fast. It would be the height of irresponsibility for us not to address this and say, you know what? Don't be greedy. First, though, let's talk about why this thing's been such a winner. When Canada Goose came public, I gave the stock my blessing for speculation because the underlying company had a lot of things going for it, a great brand, accelerating revenue growth, rising margins. I figured the story was still in the early innings. When I recommended the stock again last December, going into what turned out to be a pretty darn cold winter, I told you to ring the register on part of your position if you already owned it, because that's the responsible thing to do. But I also made it clear that if you didn't already own it, there was still more upside here. Once again, that turned out to be a pretty good call. In January, the CEO, Danny Reese came on the show and explained how the company's expanding all over the world. And again, if you listen to him, you made a killing. Still, when Canada Goose reported in February, something interesting happened. And this is what I'm concerned about. The company delivered what appeared to be a stellar quarter, and yet the stock sold off hard. Make no mistake, these were great numbers. You had a substantial earnings beat, a meaningful revenue beat, pretty rapid 27% growth, dramatically higher than anticipated margins. To look at this quarter, you would have thought that the company was firing on all cylinders. But what happens? The stock, the stock plunges more than 16% in a single session, dropping from 38 to 31. Then it loses 4% the next day. The reason? Remember, Canada Goose had run up dramatically going into the quarter. Even though the company beat Wall Street's consensus estimates, many investors were actually hoping they would do even better than that. This is the danger of what we call great expectations. When a stock moves up too far, too fast, it's very difficult to deliver results that will satisfy Wall Street. Canada Goose reported a truly great quarter, but people wanted something even better than great. So the stock, it got hammered. On top of that, the company announced that they were bringing in a new chief financial officer, and it actually makes some sense that people would freak out when a CFO leaves and a new one comes in. Sometimes this kind of thing is totally routine, and there's no deeper implications. But every now and then, a CFO departure means that something could be very wrong. So naturally, people pay less for a stock when they hear the news. On top of that, it didn't help that Canada Goose reported on February 8th, right at the end of that big market-wide wipeout, in conjunction with the Super Bowl winner, the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, that February sell-off actually turned out to be a great buying opportunity, and we could get another one here. Don't, 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 but the stock, the stock uh, Canada Goose came roaring back after that. It's now up 13 bucks from those lows. But I bring up that earlier decline because it's emblematic of what goes, can go wrong when a stock gets overheated. For the next few months, the stock gradually worked its way higher until last week when it had another explosive rally. What happened? Canada Goose announced its expansion plans for Greater China. They've got distributors lined up all over the PRC. They're opening a store in Beijing and another in Hong Kong. The whole thing is very exciting. That's why the stock surged 5.6% on the news exactly one week ago. And it's kept climbing another percent or two every day since, which caused us to think, whoa, just a second, deep breath. But this is what worries me, I'll tell you what. We know they were going to expand, and we knew they were going to expand in China. We knew it already. 
Yeah, so, so the fact that people keep buying the stock on this development makes me concerned that the buyers aren't necessarily thinking things through. Although, look, I understand retail's gotten very emotional. Signet, for instance, uh, five below, up 17 points after reporting a good quarter. It's emotional, and people are shorting stocks, including this one. But that's not the only reason to exercise some caution. First and foremost, you've got 176% gain if in this thing if you started buying when I first recommended it. Even if Canada Ghost was the perfect company, the perfect stock, you'd still want to ring the register on part of your position after that move. And it may also be considered pure greed, pure arrogance. Now, on top of that, the stock of Canada Goose is very expensive. And, of course, we care about valuation on mad money. It's trading at 66 times next year's earnings estimates, 53 times 2020 estimates. Regular viewers know that I often give high multiple stocks my blessing, unlike most people, if they've got, uh, if they've got enough growth to justify the valuation. But even with, say, a 28% long-term growth rate, it's very hard for me to tell you to start paying 66 times earnings. Oh, I wish that was the extent of it. But there's more. In April, Canada Goose filed a shelf registration, which is usually a precursor to an equity offering. In this case, they could sell $1.25 billion worth of stock over the following 25 months. And let's not forget, they still have some private equity backers who probably want to ring the register themselves. This could be the way they do it. Nothing wrong with the secondary offering, but what boggles the mind is how the stock has climbed 25% since the shelf registration was filed. That makes me think it will get clobbered the moment they do announce any kind of equity offering, and maybe that's when you buy it. One more thing. Canada Goose will be reporting its next quarter sometime soon. We don't know exactly when. But last year at this time, they, they reported. It was about June 2nd. Given how the market reacted to the company's last quarter, you have to be a little concerned that Canada Goose could report a great number and the stock could still get slammed. Stock's up 40% year to date. That's a recipe for disappointment come earnings. Of course, they could deliver such an amazing blowout that it sends the stock into the stratosphere. But I'm prepared to look like a moron, which I often do. Like, look at how Allergan's up after I told you that it was no good anymore. Well, you know. Okay, so look like a moron. It comes with the territory. Plus, let's not forget, we are headed into summertime, which is going to be a not great time for pure winter apparel. Here's the bottom line. If you own Canada Goose here, I suggest taking profits on at least some of your position. I've loved the stock all the way up. But after a 176% rally, only a madman would tell you to let it ride. Even I'm not that crazy. Canada Goose has a terrific story. I think it's a terrific company. But the stock is just too hot for me at these levels. I think it's time to ring the register. Hey, look, if it pulls back hard, then I, it might be worth buying again. And I will come out here and say, look, the reason why we sold it, we hate being pigs. Dennis in Florida. Dennis! Here's a big Philadelphia Eagle. Booyah, Jim. This is Grayson Galbraith, my dad, Dennis Galbraith, calling from Tampa, Florida. Boo, boo, booyah, Jim. Go Birds! We bought Under Armour at $14.42 and is trading today at close to the 52-week high. Should we hold on to it or yes. is it time to trade? Yes, you should hold on to it. Remember Kevin Plank came here and told you that he had fixed the problems and there were, there were two people who believed. I think his mom and me. Really about it. I think he goes hard. Uh, the father-son. Father-son, fantastic. Boy, I had a father-son ca- combo on the floor today. Kids watching the show. Eight, nine, ten. I think they bring the whole demo down to about 19. Let's go to Alexander in my home state of New Jersey. Alexander! Oh, yeah, Dr. Kramer. Man, doctor. I mean, a lot of people have taken my, I guess, it, I, where's the stethoscope? What's going on? Well, I just wanted to thank, uh, I want to say thank you for still being on the air after all these years. I, I mean, know, I've isn't it exhausting? You. Yeah, I've been watching you with the family since, I was, since I've been in grade school. Well, thank you. That's what I yeah. wanted to have happen. That's why we did the college tour. That's why I figured that the parents watching with the kids, and you are still in the game, and that's what I like. How can I help? Yeah, I just picked up your book, too, Get Rich Carefully. That's a, that's a real great read, by the way. There you go. But, uh, 
Here's my question. I have a two-part question if you can help me out. So I'm wondering if Walmart is worth staying in with all the trade war tension with the stock and competitor, now Amazon, crushing Walmart's e-commerce site, Jet.com. Should I hang in it for a few yes, more months? Yes, I want you to, to take the long can... view. Now, that said, I've got to tell you, I like Kohl's more. I like Target more. I, well, obviously, I used to like Five Below more, but that thing is up 17. Uh, but I do think that you have to sometimes say, you know what? Good company, family company. Doug with Bill, a terrific guy. Always welcome on the show, by the way. And you want to be in there for the next 10 points. I need to go to Al. Sorry about my Philadelphia accent. Al in North Carolina. Al. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thank you. Long-time listener with my brother, Joe. My question today is on MasterCard and Visa. I know you have both of those in the bullpen. Yes, I do. Fresh alerts. Yeah, they've been up this year. MasterCard's up like 34%, and Visa's up 19%. Do you think these are still a buy? They're not done going higher. Al, listen to me. I hate to throw darts at anything, but MasterCard... Jeez, uh, AJ Bonga is unbelievable. Kelly and Visa. I mean, as someone recommended today, and what the stock just flies up two dollars. These are two. Bonga and Kelly are two of the single best CEOs who won't come on the show, and it's really starting to get to me. I have no problem with that. Now I've been warm to Canada Goose all the way up, but now the stock's just too hot. Time to take a little off the table. Still ahead with Camping World Rally hard today, but uh, you know what? It's had a tough year. I'm going to talk to the prophet himself, see if there's a turn on the horizon, or maybe there was never anything wrong to begin with other than a little miscommunications. And if millennials love it with your, well, your portfolio, well, you may be surprised exactly how much they really mean to the whole story. And what are your calls? Round five. The next is Lady Rat. Stay with Kramer. Tomorrow. Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. There's a horse that could win the Triple Crown. This that I think explains how I feel about it. Justify. Yeah, you can justify it. You can justify it. No, you can't. I agree. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Many of you know my next guest, Marcus Lonis as the host of The Profit, which is one of the great real-life business shows. And by the way, the premiere next Tuesday kicks it off with CNBC. But he wears many hats. He's also the CEO of Camping World. Now, two weeks ago, we got a call from Scott in Florida asking about Camping World stock. He was saying, how come it's been so weak lately? So this is a terrific opportunity to check in with Mr. Lamonis, find out about the 53% decline year-to-date in the shares of CWH, which sells new and used RVs, along with various related accessories and services. Now, there were concerns expressed by analysts on the conference call about inventory issues in really in the industry, just so you know, as well as questions regarding a recent acquisition of outdoor sports company Gander Mountain. So has the stock of the camping world been punished enough? Could it be ready to bottom as we saw a rally today up 7.57% or we need maybe to be cautious here? Let's check in with Marcus Lamontis, the chairman and CEO of Camping World, find out more about his business and its prospects. Mr. Lamontis, welcome to Man Money. Good to have you, Marcus. Thank Thank you. you. Congratulations on your your success. I can't wait for the show. The show, like Shark Tank, makes me feel like if my kids watch it, they learn how to be business people. We're trying. Now, you had a conference today, and the stock was up big, so that's more current than the analyst call. So why don't you fill us in on how how you're feeling and what you told people? Well, you know, we we think that that in being a public company, there's a big transition from being private. And I would say that I've really 
learned, made some rookie mistakes and how to communicate to the market about strategies. And I think that's probably the biggest learning curve. We are the category killer in the space, and we've built a moat around it, all really relating to the ownership of a database called the Good Sam Club. And that's really how we make our money. And then we do that. We acquire new customers and we find new people through the sale of RVs and the other products. And I think that's different for people than people thought it was. Now, before we get to the nitty-gritty, uh, a lot of insider buying in the stock. You, uh, another person who bought uh, $500,000, you typically don't see that unless you kind of feel that longer term, things have been okay. Yeah, so I sold some shares not too long ago. I, I don't know, four or five months ago. I sold 130,000 shares at a price higher than this. I chose to buy shares back because I don't agree with the value. But one thing that I did have to do is I had to write a check to the company. I had to disgorge the profits. I think almost $600,000 I had to write a check back. I believe in what we're doing. You know, I have 35 million shares. Right. Uh, and so that's a significant amount. Don't take a salary from the company. Don't have options. Don't have restricted shares. And so I want people to know how confident I am in what we're doing by taking money out of my pocket and buying the shares. Now, you were... Uh almost reluctant to be apologetic about an issue that Thor, which is a huge maker of RVs, did this very night, which meant there was some weather that made it so sales were tougher. Part of the reason, Jim, that I try never to discuss weather is I don't want the guys in the field using that as an excuse, okay, right? I'm a, we got warriors in the field. We need them selling. Weather was definitely an issue in April. I mean, it was definitely an issue. Yes, we always have January, February weather, but it leaked over. We saw a pretty decent bounce back in May, though. But you've also said you've been in this business for a long time and you have ups and downs and you can't think of it on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. This is a long-term strategy, right. right? My goal is how do we grow the company, how do we grow earnings, and how do we grow the file size? That's the key. Now, on the conference call, you uh, cursed. You said that the D's, you're, you're, whoa, you, 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 we basically talked about your distribution center and you're saying that it was a different yeah. kind of show yeah. than the yeah. kind of show that you put on or yeah. I put on. Yeah. Uh, cleared up? It did clear up. And I think what happened was people originally thought that we bought Gander Mountain to get into the big box retail business. Right. That's totally true. It's false. Okay. We disclosed today at the Baird Conference in a public environment our real strategy behind the acquisition of Gander. It was our backdoor entry into the market in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and Texas, where we're going to be putting RVs in most of those locations. So it's not, it's not a gun play, which I know some are no. worried about. In fact, it's, it's yes, we sell firearms. Right. We sell hunting firearms. But it is always and will always be an RV play. That is our business. And what we, what we do to grow our business, Jim, is we grow our file, our good Sam file. Right. And that's just another way to do it. Now, uh, in terms of things that you said, uh, you know, that you might disguise as rookie mistakes, yeah. I, there was a filing which talked about uh, uh, at 10K, the company concluded that its internal controls, you guys, not the EMY, you guys con uh, said your internal control over financial reporting was not as effective. So that's something you brought up. You didn't necessarily think have to, but you, know, you did. The, you know, there's, there's we want to, I operate with full disclosure. And right. if you listen to the conference call, I want to say everything. <laughs> You're a little candid, my friend. I, I want to I say everything so that I'm never accused of hiding anything. Sure don't. Let the good news, let the bad news live as it lives. We had a delay in our 10K. Uh, there were some internal control issues. We ended up resolving them with the auditors by putting better systems in place. Uh, and, you know, auditors are difficult. You want to get the right price. You want to get good service. Right, so you and did change auditors. We did change auditors, and it's, it's uh, 13 years we had them. Love mm -hmm. them to death. But when price and service don't match up, 
and then you're going to make a good business. Absolutely. Change. But no disagreements with no, the No, but that's absolutely that's People should know that, that, that no audits cost a fortune. Yeah. Now, uh, we haven't talked enough about the actual business. Uh, yep. People like my daughter who they glamp and they love RVs yep. and just what we would call the secular trend of buyers. Who's in your stores? What kind of people? So there's this notion that you know, historically that older people buy RVs. What I think Thor and companies like Thor and Forest River did very well at the end of 2008 and 9, when the gas crisis happened, right. they woke up and said, if we want to expand the funnel, we want to grow the market, right. we have to make smaller units, single axles, lighter units. Bob Martin of Thor was Which I, we, we know we love. what I think was one of the brightest guys in saying, I want to get ahead of that curve. Yes, I want to make motorhomes, but I want to get to the top of the funnel where it's the widest. We follow that same trend. We sell more travel trailers than we do anything else. Okay. And we really have seen this, this funnel widen. That's why it went from 300000 to 500000 because the, it became more accessible to a Honda Accord driver. Well, to me, uh, buyer shares, other buyers, uh, stocks come down a great deal. You gave a presentation people love. You were candid enough to say, listen, the story wasn't being told right. Like, for instance, Gander. Yeah. That's a great reason to buy Gander. Well, you know, we have 130 RV dealerships right. today. At the end of 2019, we'll have 165, 160 to 165. That's 20% growth. We're making acquisitions. And by the way, our EBITDA is pretty, yes, pretty solid. Yes, it is. Okay, that's Marcus Limonis, Chairman CEO of Camping World. Don't forget, next Tuesday, the premiere, and you just heard a very candid fellow. And if you think there's anything hidden, go read the conference calls. This is a man who tells all. Man Money is back after the break. It is time! It is time for the light round because we're going to have a goals. One of the statements talked about by myself, Susan, and the course, talked about the rest of the the sound. And then the light round is over. Are you ready? Skate! That is time for the light round because we're going to start with Kevin in California. Kevin! Hey, Jim. How's it going? Booyah, what's going on with you there, Chief? I'm doing well, doing well. About six months ago, you told us to take a look at Switch, SWCH. Uh, I didn't buy it then, but what would you think about picking up some shares right now? Uh, this stock has been a, just a – it's been a – And, you know, in retrospect, the core site is better. I mean, because I like a little bit of yield. This is a data center management. Uh, it's been a tough stock. I, mean, I have to look into why the heck that thing it keeps going down. That doesn't seem right to me, down 30%. I need to go to Pat in Rhode Island. Pat! Hi, Jim. How you doing? Thanks I'm for good. How are you? Call. Good. Uh, greetings from the smallest state in the bottom 40. Well, there you uh, go. <laughs> AT&T, 7 PE, 6% dividend. I am, I, I, I want to, I, yes, I say yes. I'm making Del Rahim is going to be my guest tomorrow. We're going to televise someone on CBC. It's my part of the uh, Deal Corporate Governance Conference. And I think that what's worrying people is that maybe he's going to stop the deal with Time Warner. And they need that. He is the assistant attorney general for, for antitrust. So I want to hear more from him. But uh, that's what the worry is. Dan in Ohio. Dan. Greetings, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Yeah, great commencement speech. You gave a button on university. I oh, really enjoyed you. it. Thank you. President John Brodman just tweeted something nice about me. I was really thrilled. Ken Langone also uh, said some nice things. But I love him. I, I saw love that. I love him. Uh, look, I'm looking for a quality dividend-paying company to hold on to for the long term between 15 to 20 years. Okay. I like Illinois Tool Works. I like the business philosophy of the 80-20 rule where they concentrate on the top 20% of their customers who bring in 80% of their revenue. 
And I also like the fact that they've increased their dividend for over 50 right. years. But I know they're down year to date. Is that a concern? And are you know, they Scott, Amazon? I t- you know, I'm sorry. You know, uh, the issue here is Scott Santi, who's absolutely terrific, uh, has a big auto business. And even though they said repeatedly that the auto business is getting better, Scott has been under the gun here. I want him to stick by his knitting and just keep doing what he's doing. It's a very similar situation to 3M, another high-quality company that's been hurt by autos. they got to stick by what they believe in, and then the stocks will go higher over time. Tom in Arizona. Tom. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you? Hey. Oh, Garrett. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Hey, i got a question about uh, Hertz Global Holdings. Uh, man, you're, you're going down. You're, you're too, you don't, no, look, we want good. We want companies that are not going to be affected, by the way, with the sharing economy, not going to be hurt by Uber, and don't have a bad balance sheet. Well, you got a triple header there, so forget about it. Let's go David in Pennsylvania. David. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Yes. Uh, what is your opinion of Cytosorbent, CTSO? I bought 200 shares at $4 a few months ago. And they've recently jumped up to over $11. Should I buy more, sell, wow. or just I mean, that them? is a home run with a stock I have never heard of. I have never heard of that. You know what? I, that thing could come. That, that thing could slap me upside the head, and I wouldn't know what happened. So I got to do some work. Let's go to Michael, North Carolina. Michael! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I've been a follower since the very beginning, and uh, I'll tell you, I'm up 27% for this year on the good advice that I've gotten for you helping the home gamers. Oh, I appreciate you. it so much. These have been long days. AK I'm going to tell my wife. in January, and it has been a, a albatross ever since. Which one was it? I'm sorry. I was busy talking to my don't um, start yeah, a- AK Steel. AK Steel. Well, you know, it is not primary. It's not my one. I like Nucor up another dollar today. I think it's much better. My Chapel Trust owns that one. Pay up, pay up, and pay up. And that, Ledger, good of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Just because millennials love it doesn't mean you should buy it. Lately, we've heard a lot of CEOs talk about how surprisingly millennials seem to have an affinity for their products. Often they bring it up as a sign of a trend change that you might not be aware of. Just in the last year, for example, I've heard this from CEOs of cruise lines, timeshare companies, recreational vehicle places, and budget hotels. They all say millennials make up a shocking percentage of their business. Initially, I was skeptical. Aren't cruises for senior citizens? The cruise CEOs say no. It wasn't until my then 22-year-old daughter went on one because they're a bargain and make great backgrounds for Instagramming that I started taking the numbers seriously. Data does ring true. Same with the RV market. We heard that millennials love to glamp, which is glamour camping, and they do it as a kind of a bargain vacation, often out of RVs or motorhomes. The data from both uh, of the new Wyndhams, that's Wyndham Hotels and Resorts, the biggest hotel franchiser, and Wyndham Destinations, the timeshare colossus, definitely show that millennials don't like to spend a lot of money on lodging. Instead, they just want a clean room, and they make up an increasing percentage of those who buy timeshares. I know timeshares have a tough reputation, and that's in part because they have to be sold, not bought. You need a sales apparatus because otherwise there isn't enough natural demand. Still, as millennials get older, they seem to be attracted to timeshares, too. And look, that's great. 
Who doesn't want tons of young customers? But let's be very clear. Just because millennials like something right now, that doesn't mean you should just go buy the stock. Yesterday, Morgan Stanley put the cruise lines in the hurt locker by pointing out that higher fuel costs and the stronger dollar are contributing to weaker gross margins and order softness. And once again, we hear that too many new cruise ships just came online. That does hurt pricing. It doesn't matter how many millennials are buying tickets if those three things are going against the industry. Millennials may love buying RVs, but if the cost of making RVs becomes too great thanks to a tight labor market and manufacturers got too aggressive with their production leading to an inventory glut, then the millennials won't come to your rescue. Hence the recent weakness in the stocks of Thor Industries, with the stock down hideously this very night because after the bell, the company reported a number, and there are a lot of worries surfacing about demand. And then there's the stock of Camping World that we heard from earlier. It's down 50 cents for the year, but it was up 7.57% just today, and I liked what Marcus Lemonis had to say. The RV story was one of the greatest ever told, until it wasn't. Although you could see it could make a comeback when the inventories worked off. How about hotels? Could budget hotels traffic be clipped, uh, clipped by rising gasoline prices? It's possible. Hey, look, the airlines, they've been talking about fuel costs being up 50%. Their stocks are awful. Uh, it's important, though. What, what if higher interest rates make it difficult to build a lot of new locations for, for uh, hotels? What if the chains out there are for, that are for sale are getting snapped up and a company like Wyndham Hotels can't grow its rooms fast enough? What if the cost of a college tuition, now it's $72,000, keeps going higher? Is there a level where millennials simply can't afford timeshares, even if they love, love, love them? Look, it's terrific to hear that millennials like something you don't thought they liked, right? It's a surprise. That means that the business won't sink as the baby boomers get on their fixed income diets and stop consuming. Although maybe it shouldn't be so surprising that millennials are starting to like old, old people things because they're getting older. But please note how Thor and Carnival and Royal Caribbean stocks trade here. Millennials may glamp and, and camp and cruise but it's not helping. I like the stocks of both Williams, and I like them because they're cheaper than their compadres, despite having better numbers. We get some millennials in there buying timeshares. That's wonderful. However, it's not a reason to own the stock. Long story short, as we've seen over and over again, having a surprising number of millennial customers is nice. But if your business starts having problems, it won't save your stock from getting trends. Stick with Kramer. Bank stocks, that's what's key. They stay strong, market goes higher. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. Palm Star event just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today, it's your one stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then.